Only uh, 45 percent of Americans say they're uh, satisfied with their job situation uh, versus 61 percent back in 1987. So we've uh, seen a tremendous amount of erosion. And welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Clana Jaffe-Walt. Today is Wednesday, January 6th. And that was Lynn Franco, conference board spokeswoman you heard at the top of the podcast, talking about the group's latest survey of job satisfaction. We're taking our own survey on the blog, so stop by at npr.org slash money. Let us know how happy you are at work. On the show today, David, an economist digs up a road. But first, our Planet Money indicator. Our indicator today is 200 bucks. That is a number, 200 bucks, that Democratic Senator Christopher Dodd very much wants to forget. It is the reported amount Senator Dodd saves on two mortgages every month, thanks to a sweetheart deal he got from Countrywide Financial. Countrywide Financial is the fallen subprime lender in California. Senator Dodd announced today that he is not going to run for re-election, and that number and his association with Countrywide seems like one reason is poll numbers have been falling. Dodd is chairman of the powerful Senate Banking Committee. That's a group responsible for bailouts and banking, obviously. And right now they're at the very center of the process of fixing our system of financial regulation, financial reform. And despite Dodd insisting, you know, he didn't know he was part of the countrywide VIP program, despite being cleared by the Senate Ethics Committee, the whole thing does appear to have hurt his political career. And his career right now really has been centered around his leadership of the Senate Banking Committee. And the Banking Committee is about to come out with its plan to reshape in our system of financial regulation. So it is really unclear what all this means to that effort, though, of course, there are dozens of bank lobbyists all around pondering that question today. Right. Firing off fast emails to each other about what this all means. Okay, on to today's show. So, David, we've spent the last few weeks talking a lot about corruption. This sort of fits into our larger theme of why are poor countries poor. And on our last podcast, we were focusing on this list that ranks countries from least corrupt to most corrupt. And and the list is is based on something that's called the perception index. It just is the perception of corruption in a given country. And today we're going to just ask a more basic question, actually a hard question. What is corruption? How do you measure it? And for a quick introduction into this issue, our fabulous producer, Caitlin Kenny, is walking up right now with a delivery. Hey, guys, sorry to interrupt, but David, I, I just put the coffee that you asked for outside the studio. So whenever you're ready, it's out there. OK, thanks. Where, hey, where's, where's my change? Oh, it, it's, it's here. It's, it's out there with the coffee. Caitlin, there's just a dollar there. I gave you 20. David, I, I know you're new to New York, but coffee's not cheap. I mean, this is Manhattan. It's Nothing's not $19. Cheap. Yeah, it was. It was really expensive. Do you have a receipt? No. Didn't you know Starbucks isn't giving out receipts anymore? They're trying to save the environment. <laughs> okay, very nicely done, guys. So one of the hard things, obviously, about corruption is that it's super difficult to study because it's all under the table. As you just illustrated, there are faked receipts, cash bribes, rigged contracts. And, and so that list of countries, the perception index, it's kind of based on data, but also a lot of opinion, you know, how corrupt people perceive these countries to be. So we have a story today, one experiment that is trying to actually measure corruption and to test various ways of dealing with it. 
So the story comes from Ben Olkin, who is an economist at MIT, and he works with the Poverty Action Lab there. And the interesting thing about the lab is that they actually try and do economic experiments, like real-world controlled experiments, you know, like high school science fair, but much bigger, you know, like science and economics together. So it's th- your this, dream. It's my dream. It's my prayer. The story takes place in Indonesia, and Ben was down there trying to find some way to do this, some way to actually take some project and figure out how much money was being lost to corruption. And at the time, the Indonesian government was about to start this huge infrastructure development project, basically building lots and lots and lots of roads and spending money and giving money to little villages to to build roads. And that's exactly the kind of situation where where you tend to see some of the money disappear to corruption. So Ben Elkin thought, maybe that's my project. Maybe that'll work. These are, you know, one to three kilometer uh, road projects, like from a village to a field, something like that. And they're taking an existing dirt road and they're putting a a gravel or rock surface on it so that it can be used throughout the year, not just in the dry season. Okay. So I went out to the field with one engineer in particular, and uh, we sort of started talking about the road and sort of looking at what was good or what was bad. And at one point, I just sort of turned to him and I said, okay, so uh, his name was Farai. So I said, Farai, uh, you know, suppose we wanted to measure this particular road right here. You know, how much, how much gravel did they, did they steal from this road? How would you do it? And he said, well, you know, the gravel layer is normally supposed to be so, ever, so many centimeters thick. So, you know, the quantity of gravel is just the thickness times the length of the road times the width of the road. So we can, we're going to, we just, you know, started digging in the road. We just sort of literally just got out a, he got out a sort of a, you know, a shovel or something and started digging into this road. He did it there? (laughs) Yeah, we did it right there, right in this one village. He said, okay, look, you know, so we showed me the layers and said, okay, here, if we measure this particular uh, layer, it looks like it's seven centimeters thick. So we just multiplied length by width by depth and got an estimate for how much rock was actually in that road. And so this is all to try and measure corruption, right? Because you figured the the town will say, hey, we spent this amount of money on the road. And then you can add up the, the uh, raw exactly. materials and say, well, actually, it's not – it wasn't that much. I don't know how much well, you paid exactly. for labor, but yeah. Right. So that was the that, that was the genesis of the idea was that one sort of you know, in the village, well, hey, we can just dig it up. It turns out it's a little more challenging than that to do it in practice uh, because, you know, certainly if you, if you told the village, well, I only found, you know – 800 cubic meters of rock in the road and it says you purchased a thousand they would say well well, well 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 you know some rock was you know lost in construction you know some of the sand blew away when we were building the road that wasn't corruption that <laughs> yeah. was just you know the natural losses that are part of a building material if you think about any building project there's always some scrap left over that can't quite fit in or something like that right so so you have to calibrate this measure so that in a road where you know there's no corruption you know your measure kind of reads zero you're just like it's like tearing a scale making sure the scale reads zero when nobody's on it you have to do the same thing for your measure so what we did actually was we then built four roads ourselves. So we, built, <laughs> we did. So we, we, we built four little test roads, 60 meters long in four different parts of the, the country. And we built them ourselves. So we knew there was no corruption, right? We, we, every truck that came in with gravel, we got on top of the truck and we measured how much gravel was actually coming into that road. So we built the road ourselves, knowing the actual true amounts of stuff that went in there. And then we applied our measurement techniques to those test roads to kind of and, – and said, well, what are the normal amounts of loss that happen in a road that we ourselves controlled? Okay. So, so they, they built their own roads. So they know if it takes you know, an inch of gravel and this much cement and whatever, um, they know how much that road should cost to make. And then they went and they dug up other roads and they saw what the raw materials were. And they were able to say, okay, that's how much this road should have cost to build. And here's how much they said it cost. And it wasn't just like a few villages that they went to and dug up the roads, right? It was a lot. 
Yep. They dug up roads in 608 villages. 608. Yeah, it's an experiment. You know, you need data. I love that. So they actually get an answer as to how much corruption was there, how much money for these projects disappeared. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Ben Alkin's uh, being scientific here. So he, he wasn't going to answer that question without first giving me two caveats. Before I give you the answer, a lot of this measure depends on how precisely you you set the scale to zero. And so if, for example, real world conditions don't go quite as well as our little test roads did, you know, I might be overstating the amount that's missing. So, Or, or, or you might get workers who aren't as good as the workers you'd hired or something like precisely, that. Right? Precisely. Yeah. And we tried to hire regular workers, but you never know for sure. So what I think this measure is most useful for is not telling us the level of corruption but helping us compare where it's higher or lower, right? So comparing All right, fair across enough. villages. Fair enough. Okay. But, but what are the numbers, just for fun? So the answer is about 20 to 25% of the funds we couldn't account for. 20 to 25%? That's, that's kind of a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so, right? You always think about businesses who are trying to, like, save 1% or something. You know, if somehow you were losing a quarter, that's a lot. Right, so where does it go? I I asked him. He, he, he said he didn't. they didn't actually measure. It's really hard to tell where the where the money disappeared to. But he said what he thinks is going on is that – so the, the government gives money to these villages to build the road, right? And the villages say, OK, well, you know, we um, – I don't know. We, we bought cement and there's a price for cement. But it's hard to monkey with the price of cement. Everyone kind of knows what cement should cost or gravel or whatever. But then there's the, the quantity. They'll say, oh, we bought, you know, two truckloads. Maybe actually – they got a little less than two truckloads, right? So that that's where I think the money's going. Oh, so they use they used less materials to build the roads. Yeah, they would say, "Hey, we needed ten truckloads, and actually they only needed eight or something." I see. Yeah, it's they were messing with the quantity, not the actual price of the stuff. You know, the price of cement is pretty well known in these villages. It's pretty obvious that something funny is going on. But if I say I bought, you know, a thousand cubic meters of rock, and in fact you only deliver eight hundred sixty-two cubic meters of rock. Unless somebody is there measuring the amount of rock and rock in every single truck, um, it's just really hard to know, right? So I think a lot of it comes through delivering um, lower than the official amount of these materials, and then the, then the question is who gets the profits from that, and it's probably some combination of the suppliers and the guys running the projects. Okay, so what can you do about this? You, you can't be, like, <laughs> digging up every road and counting gravel all over the place. No, and this would only work for roads, right? What do you do for other kinds of corruption? Um, well, that actually, that was the second part of the experiment was to see what's the fix. Like, how do you curb corruption? What works and what doesn't work? And one of the things they tried was just basically putting fear into the hearts of the villagers by, <laughs> you know how you do that? Bring in the auditors. Ooh. We randomly selected about half of the villages. And uh, just like in a medical trial, so there was a treatment and a control group. And in the treatment group, we basically sent the villagers a letter before before construction started, which said, um, guess what? You've been selected to be a site for an audit. Uh, after the project is done, you will be audited for sure by the state audit agency. And the results of the audit will be read aloud in your village at a public meeting. <laughs> okay? And that's yeah. what we did. That's what we did. And, uh, and to make it more credible, in every sub-district, so this, this is about 150 sub-districts in the study. So in every sub-district, one of those villages we had picked to be audited, we actually audited them for sure, um, you know, uh, after this, when the study was, when the construction was about 40% done. And the reason for this is, you know, letters come, letters go. We wanted them to know this was a real letter, that, that we, we really meant it. What was, um, and what, what was it like reading those results in the middle of the town? 
You know, so this was actually one of the surprising things for me about this study. And this is one was that they rarely find caught red-handed evidence of corruption, right? right? What we found instead were things I would call fishy indicators, right? So, you know, you were supposed to – in this project, you're supposed to get three bids uh, for – you know, in order to buy materials. And they would only have one bid. Or they're supposed to have receipts uh, for all the material. And the receipts are supposed to be stamped with the official stamp from the store. Or the receipts wouldn't be there. Or they wouldn't be stamped. Or they wouldn't be kept properly. Or they'd be missing some receipts. They're supposed to be someone who actually does check all the rock as it comes into the village. And they wouldn't – sometimes they wouldn't do that. You know, the the list of who was working on the project might be blank or, you know, it might even be signed, you know, look like the same person signed it multiple times. Now, maybe someone was signing for someone because those were fake workers or maybe they were signing for someone because, you know, there were people who were illiterate and couldn't sign for themselves. So there were all these things that came up that were, you know, suspicious indicators of, you know, maybe something was going awry, but... Uh, there was rarely something that was like, aha, I've caught you, you're going to go to jail. Like mm. almost basically never, right? So, Did it help though? Did, did the audits help just the it fear of being help, audited? Actually. It, it did. helped a lot. Oh, yeah. So it reduced that missing, that missing expenditures measure, that yeah. gap between what the, what the village said and what the engineer said by about a third. Oh, that's, that's substantial, it sounds like. It's t- definitely substantial, m- well more than enough for the audits to pay for themselves. Um, so definitely a, a major reduction. And uh, remember I told you that we had one of the villages in each subdistrict was audited during construction, and then the rest were just audited after construction was over, and in fact, after our engineers had already done their assessment. And we can show by looking at the data, there's no difference between those two villages. So it's all coming off the threat. A very powerful threat, which which sort of makes sense. I mean, if someone... If someone called me and said, you will definitely be audited on your taxes this year, you know, and if you don't pay every single cent you owe, we're, we're going to read the results on the radio, you know, I would be super, super careful. You're not careful already? <laughs> I'm very, very careful on my taxes. <laughs> All right. Actually, no, I, fig- I figured out you bribe the auditors. You could just bribe the auditors. You, yeah, I mean, that is that is the hard thing. It's sort of a chicken and egg problem, right? It's hard to rid yourself of corruption while there is corruption. And you know, corruption, it has a real impact. I mean, Olkin's work is funded in part by the World Bank, which makes all kinds of loans. And, you know, there's all this international aid money. And if 30 percent of that money is getting diverted to corruption, you know, fewer countries are going to be willing to lend that money. And in any case, it's, it's 30 percent fewer projects you can build. And Ogun said, actually, you know, it's possible the projects you build, they, they just don't work out at all. A lot of these roads, you'd go and look at them and they'd say, oh, these roads look great. And that's because, quite naturally, the top layer of the road was built well. It's the bottom layers that were built poorly because those are the ones that are going to be hidden and which people aren't going to see. Now, if it turns out the bottom layers are really important, for example, in drainage, right? So you need a, a layer of, in these particular roads, you need a layer of gravel at the, or sand, sorry, at the bottom of the road to allow the water that falls to drain so it doesn't wash away the rocks, right? So it doesn't erode the road. So if you skimp on the sand uh, at the bottom of the road, even though the road looks great, it's going to last substantially less long. And let's, right? hope they're and, so not, you, and let's hope they're not skimping on bridges and things like that, right? Exactly, right. You could imagine a bridge falling down. You can imagine all kinds of things. Um, and so the, what we call the efficiency cost of corruption could potentially be much higher than that 30%, depending on how they distort the project design to, to, to steal the money. Caitlin, this is this cup of coffee. It's not even a dollar cup of coffee. It's terrible. <laughs> David, maybe it's time you start getting your own coffee. <laughs> Um, I think that's going to do it for us today. We would love to hear your personal stories of corruption. 
Have you ever bribed someone, even in just a little small way? Let us know. You can email us at planetmoney at npr.org. You can leave a note on the blog, npr.org slash money. And while you're there, you can also take part in our job satisfaction poll. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thank you for listening. Oh